again, praise team. Boy, it's a warm one out there, is it not? So welcome to fall in Michigan, where we have no idea what the weather is going to be like, right? But it's, a, but it's a beautiful day out there, and we're thankful for every day that we have from the Lord. Amen? Well, welcome back as we are in the book of Daniel. So if you'll turn to Daniel chapter 1, we're looking at Daniel, faith in the fire. And by that, we're talking about living out our faith in a culture that isn't so supportive of our faith, right? We're, we're living out our faith in the, the, the fire, so to speak. In fact, it was this week I was talking to one of our members, and she was talking about uh, a relative of hers uh, that is another member of the church who was one of the bright young girls, just like Daniel and, and his three friends, a bright young girl, and, and she actually uh, received a scholarship. She graduated through the program here, went off to college with this, uh, with this scholarship, and she realized when she started living in the dorms that she has now transplanted herself out of a good Christian environment and into the den of iniquity. Those are the words that were used in the conversation, right? And you know what I'm talking about. If you've been to college, you might know exactly what I'm talking about. And, um, and so she tried to see if there was any way that she could leave the den of iniquity and still keep that scholarship and wrote letters. And, uh, and they said, unless you live in the dorms, unless you live where we tell you to live, you, you cannot keep your scholarship. And, and as, as she realized, I mean, she had a roommate. And I won't go into details, but her roommate would bring friends over and pretend like she wasn't there, if you know what I'm saying. And, uh, and just a horrible, horrible environment. So she wrote these letters, and, uh, and they told her, oh, sorry, you cannot keep your scholarship. Boy, what a choice. These are the types of choices that we have to make these days to live in this culture. Isn't it true? We have to live, learn to live out our faith in the fire. There's a second half of that story, and I'll tell it to you uh, later on in the service. But that's the reality of the world that we live in. Uh, just to get us back to where we were in the context here, you might remember Saul was the first king, and then David, and then Solomon. The kingdom of Israel was split into to Israel to the north, Judah to the south. If they followed the Lord, he would bless them. If they didn't follow the Lord, then he would allow the enemies to come in. And that's exactly what happened. We saw it happen to the north uh, when Israel uh, was taken over by the Assyrians. And then a little bit later, we see the same thing happen to Judah with the Babylonian captivity. The book of Daniel is about this period of time. And Daniel was one of those bright young people in the first wave of the captivity that they had taken out of the homeland. They took, they took him and others like him to, uh, to Babylon. And there they, they, they underwent a process of, of trying to get them to think and, and act and identify like a Babylonian. And that was their goal. And this, was, this is the story that uh, you know, comes out of that. So we've been talking um, about uh, five principles for living in an ungodly world. Five principles for living in an ungodly world. And then a couple of weeks ago, we hit the first one. And it came out of Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. And this is what we read. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine with which he drank. So the first principle that we hit uh, is the, sim- the simple principle of we have to purpose in our heart not to defile ourselves, right? If we're going to live in an ungodly society, we have to make sure that we go into it with the right mentality that says, I am not going to let the world contaminate me. I'm not going to become like them. I'm not going to let the influence go from them to me. Uh, I'm going to be here to give an influence from me, from me to them, but the influence is not going to go in the other direction. 
You might remember the, the scenario that was going on. The king had required the Jews to eat food that was uh, prohibited for the Jews according to the book of Leviticus. And, and uh, Daniel made a resolution that he was not going to participate in any of that. He determined that he would not be contaminated by, by all those things. Now remember, we talked two, or actually three weeks ago about how the godless society wants you to think like them, which is why they made them undergo the education. They wanted them to act like them, which is why they wanted them to eat and participate in, and eat and drink the things that they did. And they also wanted them to identify with them, which is why they changed their names to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego instead of um, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. I'm surprised I remember those three names because I always remember their Babylonian names. Anyone else do that too? When you say, Azariah, Hananiah, Mishael, you say, who are they? But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we all remember those names, right? But uh, here, that's the culture that we, we find. Them. But they, they have to begin with, the, with that mindset of, I will not, I will not let this world contaminate me. We're going to get to principles number two and number three today. So if you want to continue reading, and, and, uh, let's look at the second half of verse 8. So I'll read the whole verse, but let's look at it one more time. But Daniel purposed in his heart uh, that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine with which he drank. Then look at the second half. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. This I find very interesting because you have such strong language in the first half of the first and such soft language in, this, in the second half of the first. And, and we see it making this, this, this bold. I am, I am determined in my heart. This is not going to happen. And then all of a sudden, what, what do we find? He requests of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. That brings us to the second principle. The principle is to be respectful to your ungodly authorities. See, Daniel was very respectful of the authority, even though, was it, a, was it a godly authority? By no means. Did the chief of the eunuchs have any understanding of who Yahweh was? Not at all. He had no understanding of this. But yet, it was Daniel's job to respond in a very respectful way. I, I find that interesting. Daniel knew he would not, de- he would not define. He knew he w- it was not going to happen. But he requested that's a soft word, isn't it? To request something. Uh, I remember taking a group of kids to work in a kitchen at a camp for a week as a missions trip. And, uh, and they were complaining about how the guy who ran the, who ran the kitchen was always demanding things. So I talked to the guy and said, you know, why are you always demanding? He said, well, if I, if I request it, then that's just too soft. They might think they have an option not to do it, right? Why? Because he felt that the word request, you know, to request someone to do something is too soft. And in that case, I think he should have requested anyway. In this case, we see that is exactly how Daniel responded, and he requested it. So he had a very strong conviction, but he had a very soft manner of requesting it. Does that make sense? And I think it's important for us to understand it. See, sometimes a little manners will take us a long way, even when we're working with unsaved, ungodly people. Isn't that true? Uh, we, We simply just need to be respectful in the way that we approach. And I think that sometimes we as a church, not talking about HBC, as, a, as the universal church, sometimes we fail in reaching people simply because we are very strong in our convictions that we're not going to participate in the sins of the world and we're quick to point them out, but we don't do it in a very respectful way. 
Daniel could have said, I ain't eating this pagan trash. <laughs> right? But he didn't. Instead, he requested that he receive an exemption uh, to the rule. And, and sometimes I think we, we, as Christians, we take that attitude with the world. And, and then when they hate us for it, we call it persecution. And then we're proud of our persecution, right? And you know what? There's a sense in which we can, we can take joy in our persecution if we understand why. In fact, uh, uh, you don't have to turn there. I'll just go through it real quickly. But in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about this in chapter 12. When he says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution and distress. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So he, took, he takes joy in being persecuted because he knows, hey, this isn't something I deserve. And so this gives me a chance to, to live out like Christ, right? So it's okay. But Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 2.18, he says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, I like that, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. This is, isn't this the principle that Daniel was putting into practice? And he, he tells him, uh, uh, he tells me, you, even, the, even your bosses that are harsh, how are you to respond to them? The submission. Wow. Uh, verse, verse 20 goes on to read, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. So we have to be careful. Not all persecution is a sign that we're doing the right thing. Right? You get what I'm saying? Sometimes we're persecuted just because we, we approach it with the wrong attitude. And we would be like the Daniel if he had said, I ain't eating this pagan garbage. Right? Instead... Uh, we have to do things in a gentle and respectful way. And there's a distinction there for us. And you know what one of the best ways to be respectful is? To listen. Isn't that true? Just to listen to what someone has to say. Think about it from their perspective. And that's exactly what Daniel did. Let's continue in verses 9 and 10. It says, Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. That's a good point, actually, by itself. The fact is, Daniel lived in such a way that the chief of the eunuchs liked him. We get that image from verse 9, verse 10. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. And so he said, Daniel, just like you fear your king, I fear my king, right? And, and, uh, and it's very easy for us to just point out the errors. Very easy for us to point out the errors of society's ways. We do it all the time, and we should be able to do that. But we have to be very careful because sometimes we can assume that people are acting in selfish motives, but when we stop and actually listen to them, it's not always that they're trying to be bad or that they're trying to be selfish or trying to be spiteful. A lot of times... It's that simple fact they're working on wrong information. Isn't that true? And that's what we see here. We have a situation where, where the, the chief of the eunuchs was working on wrong information. His assumption was that if you eat what the king has told us is going to produce the best 
most productive, healthy people, then it's going to happen. He's working on it. Daniel's saying the exact opposite. He's saying, no, if you obey God and follow what his rules are, and, and obedience to God is going to produce the best. By the way, I don't think it's the, 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 the contents of the food is not the issue here. It's not that, uh, that Daniel is pushing uh, a vegetarian diet or anything like that, but Daniel was not allowed to participate in the diet that the Babylonians were because he was a Jew, and Jews had been asked to abstain from certain foods. In the, first, in the New Testament, we find that God lifts that ban, right? Because he was using it as a teaching tool. So he's teaching them separation in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, he was showing how the gospel is available to everyone using the same analogy. So, uh, so I believe that that's the, the, case, the case here. And here, Daniel listened. He listened to him. You know, when you, if you were to ask the question, why? Why does the world hate Christians so much in our culture? Is it safe to say that we're hated? Okay. Why? And, and I, I think we, we, we have to realize, I think there are things that we say. For example, we say that there's only one God, right? And we would all agree with that, right? Good. We're in the right place. But we have to, to listen and, and see it from their perspective. And you can see why from their perspective they might say something that, that boy, anyone who claims to have a monopoly on the truth is prideful, right? Okay. But we have an answer for that. If we would take the time to listen to what their concerns are and talk to them about those concerns, boy, I'll tell you what, there's nothing more humiliating than the gospel in reality. It's not like, hey, I found the right God. You guys, you losers, found the wrong God. That's not how it is. In fact, the gospel has less to do with me finding God and a whole lot more to do with God finding me. Right? And, and so it's a, it's a humbling thing to think that on my own, I would have never looked for God. If, the, if, if God did not draw me, for, there's no way I would have come to him. Why? Because I'm a human being. I'm selfish by nature. And I would have looked for something... I would have looked for a worldview that would put me a little closer to the top, right? And if it wasn't for God doing things in your life and the Holy Spirit convicting you, and if it wasn't for, for God sending Christians to tell you the message, if it wasn't for God doing all of these things, guess what? Not a single one of us ever would have come to Christ. And so we, there's an answer for this. I think the, world would, the second reason why I'd say the world hates us so much is because they look at us as haters. We hate sinners. It's not true. But this is what they think about us. Isn't it true? They think we hate sinners. We hate people and we come up with this list of, of sins and, and, and uh, that seems arbitrary to, to the world. And so we hate, in their eyes, we hate fornicators. We hate smokers. We hate drug abusers. We hate homosexuals. We hate beer drinkers. That's what they think we believe. But again, we have an answer to that. If we, were, if, we're, if we can have a respectful conversation, we have an answer for that. You know what? I don't, I don't hate tobacco, right? I, I, I don't hate a person, excuse me, I don't hate a person who, who smokes tobacco. But if I love the person, then I'm going to hate the fact that they smoke tobacco because I know how bad it can be for their health. Does that make sense? You know, there may be people in here that struggle with, uh, with, with tobacco. I don't hate you. I love you, right? I love you. You can come here, right? Uh, uh, you, you might be struggling with one sin or another sin, but I guarantee every single one of us struggles with some sin, and I hate the sin because I love you. To the world, that doesn't make a lot of sense if we don't show respect in the conversations that we have. 
But if we show love, we show respect to people, guess what? Then that message all of a sudden carries some weight, does it not? Because I know it's logical. But the only reason they don't believe it is because we're not expressing it in a, in a, in a loving way many times. Here's the point. The point is, we should speak the truth, but we can do it respectfully. We should speak the truth, but we should do it respectfully. The chief thought that the king's food was healthy, right? And that it would produce healthier people. He was wrong, but Daniel still showed respect and listened to him. Daniel listened to the chief, uh, chief of the eunuchs, and he was able to assess exactly where the wrong thinking was and challenge that wrong thinking. So when your religious rights become trampled, and they will, try being respectful. Uh, in many cases, they'll accommodate. Um, in some cases, they don't. We'll get to that in chapter 3. In this case, we're going to see how he did respond. Let's, uh, let's take a look at uh, verse 11 of the same chapter. Chapter 1, verse 11. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you, and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies, and as you see fit, so deal with your servants. Wow, so you see what he's doing? He's setting up this little test here, and he's saying... Okay, I know where, where your thinking is wrong, and, and, and he doesn't say it that way, but I know where your thinking is wrong. You think that the, the king's idea of food is going to be better for us. I know that obedience is going to be better, so, so let's, challenge, let's challenge that in this area. But what's he doing? He's accommodating what the chief of the eunuch's concern was. His concern was, boy, if, if I give you the wrong food and you turn out unhealthy, the king's going to have my head on a platter, Right? So he said, okay, let's take that into account. Let's have this little chunk. We'll do it for 10 days. I mean, no king's going to put your head on a platter for 10 days, right? Um, and if it doesn't happen, uh, if we don't look good, you do as you see fit. I'll tell you what, that also shows confidence that Daniel had in his God. Does it not? I mean, he knew. All right, you're going to see a difference here. You're going to see a difference because we're going to be obedient and, 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 uh, and we'll, see what, we'll see what God does. That brings us to the third principle uh, uh, for, uh, for this series. Number three, challenge the false premises that guide society. Challenge the false premises that guide society. Our society is guided by these ideas. A premise is a, is a belief. It's a, an ingrained, deeply held belief. And so we have to challenge some of those beliefs that are guiding our society in a wrong direction. Does that make sense? Uh, we have to be willing to, to do that. And, and Daniel was willing to do that. I think somewhere along the line in America, the philosophy has changed about how to reach the world for Christ. In fact, I would put, it, put it this image in your mind. In picture you have two, two neighbors. You have a house over here and you have a house over here. And uh, the house over here is your party house, right? So late night, I mean, there's loud music going on. And, and they're, you know, they're, they're just, this is your party house. They're having a lot of fun, all right? Um, but when you're trying to sleep because you have to go to work the next day, it can be difficult, right? So there's tension between these two homes. And uh, one, one, one night, you, well, you would wake up, but you're already awake trying to get to sleep because you hear the party and going on in the other house. And you happen to look out the window and you see that that house is on fire, right? So you got the imagery. And some of you can see where I'm going with this. It seems like the, 
the, the philosophy of, of the church in America today has been that, okay, we have to save these people from the fire, so here's how we're going to do it. We're going to make our house the party house, right? And, and we're, we're going to play the music really loud, too. And, and then they're, they're going to be so bored with their, you know, with, with their party that they're going to say, hey, why don't we go over to that party instead, right? You see where I'm going with this? And, 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 and why don't we just go over there? And so we try to imitate the world in order to draw the world to us. And by the way, we do a lousy job at it, right? So while they're playing, you know, the popular music, uh, you know, whatever it is today, you know, and they're playing all those, and we're trying to, to reach them with our Barry Manilow and Bee Gees or whatever. And, and then we wonder why, no offense to Barry Manilow and Bee Gees, so, but why on earth they're not leaving the house and coming to us? But what ought to be the message the message ought to be to go to the house and, hey, your house is on fire, right? You're going to die if you stay here. This is not a great place to be. And we need to challenge the, the very premise that, that this is a great, a safe place for them to be. We need to challenge that. And as Christians, we're afraid to offend them. So, well, we don't want to tell them their house is on fire. So why don't you come over to our house? Hey, I mean, it's nice over here. Well, no, thank you. We're enjoying ourselves over here. Why are we going to go over there? When we can, we can stay here, right? And we, and we fail to, 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 to live up to that challenge. And, hey, their house is on fire, man. The people around us, they're, 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 their homes are burning down. Maybe not physically, but their home life is burning down. Marriages are being destroyed. People are in there because of their selfishness and their sin. They're, they're backbiting each other and they're, and, and they're, and they're causing problems. And, and then, and then the, the problems get complicated when it goes to the next generation because they're raised in those environments, right? And, and the, the world is in trouble. Their house is on fire. And we're trying to attract Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be attractive to, the, to them. I'm, we, you know, we, we can do better than BGs and, you know, very mad low. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if that is your role, if that is your way of saying, we're going to reach them, and we're not going to give them a message, we're not going to challenge their thinking, we're not going to do any of that, we're just going to try and show them, hey, things are nicer over here. It's not enough. And that's not what we've been called to as, as a Christian. And when we're, if we're going to live our faith in the fire, then we need to challenge them at those things. That's exactly what, what Daniel did. So... The, the bottom line here is we need to challenge the basic premises that guide society in these wrong directions. And, and, and it's not happening. And the world starts moving in wrong directions. And I, I could give a list. I could, I could preach for a long time on, on what some of these premises are. Um, but, but the list just goes on and on. I think of evolution, for one. Um, I, I take socialism, for example. I, I read, uh, I read a, a statistic that said over 40% of college students say that socialism is good. Not, not fake socialism. The socialism, historical socialism is good. Why? Because the thought is, well, you know, that, that the main problem is the rich and the poor. And the, I, the, the answer is to steal from the rich to get the poor. That, that's not what the Bible says. You know, that's not what the Bible says at all. And, and then they're lost. In fact, you look historically... And people, people, by the way, are, are upset at God because of, of, of the hurricanes. When you think of how many people have died in hurricanes, and I'm not diminishing that at all, but you compare that to how many people died from socialism, right? 
I, I just jotted down 1.7 million in Ethiopia, Ethiopia, 2 million in North Korea, 2 million in Cambodia, 20 million in Soviet Union, 65 million in China. Uh, folks, this is, da- this is dangerous stuff. 40% of our college agers are saying this is the direction we want to go. We have to challenge the premises, not based on politics, based on the Bible. Based on what is right and wrong, on morality. Right? And that's, that's, the, that's the direction. We, we have to challenge those things. But all this is based on the, the premise that it's God's job to protect us from every natural calamity. And the world hates us. And we, and it's, and we see where the world's going and we have to help them see the bigger picture. That's what Daniel was doing. He's like, all right, let's challenge. Let's take your premise versus my premise. We'll test it for 10 days and see what comes out. And what was the result? Let's look at verse 14. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them 10 days. It worked. He took the challenge, right? He took the challenge. Uh, and by the way, this is cool because, because Daniel did not get him from a no to a yes. There was a step in between. I think it's an important step. I call it maybe, right? To go from no, like Daniel took the chief of the units where, no, this is not right because that food's going to make you less healthy. And Daniel's trying to get him to a yes where, oh, yes, yes, if you follow God's ways, that's better. How did he get there? He said, well, let's just try maybe for a little while. And so he goes from no, says, let's try the maybe. Let's just test this theory for 10 days. And he says, okay, that I'll do. I'll move from no to maybe. Move from no to yes, uh, that's a big thing because my head would be on a platter if I do that. And if I make a false move there, and Daniel respected that. And so Daniel basically said, uh, let's try this. So Daniel's challenge tested the hypotheses that the king's food would make them healthier. And Daniel's hypothesis was that, that obedience to God would make them healthier. So let's see what happens in this little challenge. And that's exactly what they did. Look at verse 15 and 16. And at the end of 10 days, their, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus, the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. It worked. It worked. By the way, when, when, when you're challenging not your own, your own premise versus someone else's premise, but we're challenging someone else's premise against the Bible or against God, then God's going to win that, that bet every time. Now, you bet your, your perspective versus my perspective, it could go either way. Your perspective versus God's perspective, God's going to win every time. Isn't that true? I've never seen God fail in any of the things that he's ever said. And, and, and this, is, this is, so Daniel just showed his life. Okay, I'm going to do what God says. You do what, what your king says. Let's look at the difference. And there was a difference in the way he lived his life. Bottom line is this. Your life should be the evidence that the world's in darkness. The way you live your life needs to be in such a way that they see the contrast. They see the contrast between what they're doing and what you're doing, and they see the difference. Say, oh, what you're doing is better. Now, by the way, if you don't have respect in there beforehand, then they'll never admit that what you're doing is better. Isn't that true? And and you show that. Matthew 5, verse 14 and through 16, Jesus said this. He said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. By the way, I love that imagery, don't you? Because one light, barely visible. On a hill, somewhat visible. A city 
on a hill. You can't hide that, right? Because you put all those lights together, and people say, wow, there's, there's something over there, right? I remember once being lost in Kentucky with my, with my dad. Uh, my dad was driving as we were kids, and not all the roads are marked. At least they weren't back then. And, uh, and we were trying to find, where in the world ever? And then finally we could see, well, there's a glow over the sky. Over the, there's got to be a city over there. And that's how we found our way to the city and got directions um, to figure out how to get to where we were, were trying to go. A city on a hill cannot be hid. It says, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Here's the analogy. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify, glorify your Father who's in heaven. So, so basically what we're, what we're seeing here, we need to live our lives in such a way that when the world contrasts us with them, they say, ah, th- there is a difference there. There's a difference there um, between what normal people do from their experience and what we do. Normal people retaliate when they're harmed. But if we turn the other cheek, they're going to see that, Right? Normal people take advantage of an opportunity for dishonest gain. And if you don't, that's going to stand out. They're going to notice that. Uh, Normal people lose it when their circumstances become overwhelming. And if you trust that God's in control of all things, and and they see you go through a storm. By the way, God never promised us as Christians that he would keep us out of the storms. He promised that he would be with us in our storms. Right? Why? Because the world needs to see how you're supposed to respond. And then say, I don't respond this way. And so what's happening is you let your light so shine in the darkness that what happens? They see that and they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's our job to point them to God. Does that make sense? And that's part of the reason that we're here. And, um, and, and so we have to see this. In, in the story that I gave at the beginning, you know, we see that we have to challenge those false premises. And this young lady from our church here, she wrote these letters and she came to this point where she, she had to choose. Do I accept financial aid to finish college or do I give up my financial aid and just trust that God will protect me? And, and, and God bless her heart, she made the decision to withdraw her scholarship because she was unable to go through living where she was and be uncontaminated by the world. You know what? That's light in darkness. That's light. There's a second part of the story because they had already told, they, they, they half read letters, right? You know how it is? You're, no, no, sorry, this is the policy. We're not bringing a policy for you. Here's a girl who was willing to lose her scholarship to make a stand for her faith. That got the attention of someone who said, let me see those letters again. Started reading those letters. Really, are we not going to let a person get this money because this is her life? This is what her room is like? This is what... And they decided to make an exception and give her her scholarship back. Isn't that cool? I'll tell you, when, when when we respectfully engage with the culture, many times we'll see God do amazing things. There's a lot of hope. And you know what? Sometimes I talk about the bad things in our culture, and I I hope I don't do it to the extent that you think, I don't love America. I I love our country. I love people. And there's a lot of hope if we do what, what we see Daniel 
his friends did. By the way, Daniel had huge influence from this point on in the entire country. In fact, he was put over the Magi later on. In fact, the reason why the Magi found Jesus Christ is because they listened to, to the teachings of Daniel hundreds of years earlier, and they were still reading his stuff. Enough so that when Christ appeared, they said, ah, this is what Daniel was talking about, right? Daniel had an influence in a culture, and uh, it was a huge influence. But what it boils down to is he challenged the false supremacies, but he did so in a gentle and respectful way. What about you today? When you look at this bottom line for us, the bottom line is your life needs to be evidence that the world is in darkness, and also your life should be a living contradiction to the false supremacies that guide our culture. That's where we need to live. We need to live in such a way that our life is the contradiction to the things that they believe. People aren't supposed to think this way. People aren't supposed to be, you shouldn't be happier than me. Right? You're going through this tragedy. And, and the world sees the differences. So what about you today? Who are you in this story? Maybe you're Daniel. Are, are, are you the person, you, you know for sure you're a believer, you've accepted Christ, and, and you know, but you are called to live in this world, even though there's sin all around you, and you're called to have an influence in, in this world. Are, are you the Daniel? Or are maybe, maybe you're the chief of the eunuchs in the story. Uh, just beginning to open your eyes to the reality that what God says in his word actually challenges and supersedes everything I've been taught in my culture. There may be someone here today that, hey, you know, I don't know about this whole Christianity thing, but boy, the more, I, the more I see it, the more it makes sense. That's the Holy Spirit drawing you. And I want to give you an opportunity in just a moment to come, to come forward and respond. Or you can go to the back. We'll have some men and women there with a little lanyard that says, ask me. And you can go talk to them, and they can show you from God's word how you can know for sure that you're a believer. I want to speak to the, to the Daniels for a moment, to those who would say, I know I'm a believer and I know that I'm living in, a, in an ungodly environment. I want to ask you uh, two more questions. Number one, is your life a contradiction to the worldly principles? Or are you fitting in to the world? Uh, is, your, is your life in contradiction to the house that's on fire? Or are you just trying to kind of make your house seem like the other house? You know, are you just kind of going with the flow of culture? And the third question is... And if so, are you respectfully engaging in conversations with those around you in order to point them towards the God who wants to save them? I think sometimes we get one side of this down or the other side, but these two concepts go together. We have to be respectful in the way we communicate, but we also have to communicate. We have to challenge. And I, there are so many of us that say, well, we'll be respectful, but we never challenge the premises that the world's living in. We never point out what's going wrong. Or others, they just love to point out faults. But we don't do it in a gentle and respectful way. And the world gets turned off to Christianity because of it. And so my challenge for you today is to figure out where you are in that spectrum and really find that balance point to where you are challenging people to, to consider God. You're, challenging, you're, bringing, you're, you're bringing it to a point of conversation, but that you do it in a gentle and loving way. Because there are people in this world, there are people in your workplace and in your neighborhoods and in your schools that need to hear the truth about, about what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And God wants to save them, and he loves them. Don't be turned off by their godlessness. That's just what godless people do. You know what will fix that? God. God's the cure for godlessness. Makes sense, doesn't it? And we are the ambassadors of that message. So my challenge to you today 
would be to, to, to accept that role and make the commitment that, Lord, I am going to be, in a gentle and respectful way, I am going to be an ambassador of the gospel. And I'm going to take on a mission field, too. We're, we're, we're entering missions month. And we're going to be talking about missionaries all over the world. But it would be hypocritical for us to support all these missionaries everywhere else if we're not going to be missionaries here, too. So let's take that. And, uh, I'm going to pray and give you a chance to respond. I won't bother you if you come forward when we pray. It's between you and God. You just come forward, make that prayer to the Lord, and say, Lord, I'm committing to being that ambassador of the, of the gospel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for all that you have taught us through it. And Lord, we live in a world where we need exactly what you're teaching us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to live in this world uncontaminated by the garbage that's going on around us, but also, Lord, that we would engage with those around us and we would do it in a loving, respectful way. May our methods match the message, I pray. In Christ's name.